If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the 70s, the monster vocalists of the 80s, and the creativity and risk-taking of the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories. And I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My hope is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. You're about to hear a story that's full of grace, courage, and restoration. I met Nikki Leonti more than 20 years ago when she was a teenage vocal sensation in Christian music, but you know, her life didn't turn out the way that any of us thought it would. But she is a living, breathing example of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, I hope this conversation encourages you, especially if you feel like things didn't go the way you had planned in your life. Now, before I bring Nikki on, I want to remind you to consider becoming a premium subscriber, just like my old buddy from Truth, Glenn George, did. Thank you, Glenn. And by doing so, you'll receive early access to podcasts, exclusive video content, and bonus episodes along the way. Just click the link in the info section of this episode, or go to andychrisman.com, where you'll find out about my radio show, if you don't know about it already. It's called Worship with Andy Chrisman, which plays on more than 500 stations worldwide every weekend. And, of course, there's a bunch of other stuff that God has me doing that you can find out there about my website. Seriously, your generosity is helping me produce more content than ever. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all the premium subscribers. Now, get ready for an amazing journey with my friend, Nikki Leonti. Well, I remember meeting a young lady with a really big voice that joined us on tour in the late 1990s and... All of us that were on that tour knew Nikki was destined for big things. Funny how things work out. Uh, You know, what we thought her path was going to be and what it ultimately turned out to be were beyond our wildest imaginations. And one of the things I love about doing this podcast is hearing from my friends how they found success and significance in the face of adversity and how God has continued to open doors for those that he's given great talent to. So I am excited to reconnect. And hear her story today. Welcome to the One Degree of Andy podcast, my friend Nikki Liotti. It has been a long time. It's so long. Yeah. You, let's see. I, I was it Freedom Blast? Freedom Blast, yep. Uh-huh. That was my very last CCM tour was with you. Yeah. And it yeah. was so awesome. We had, what, Russ Taff and Wayne yeah. Watson. Wayne Watson. Feels like, was there somebody else? It was just, was just the four of us? Yeah. Because I just had Jeremy Dibler on, and he did a Freedom Blast with us with FFH. Okay, yeah, they and it was yeah, it was Wayne. It was us, Wayne, FFH, and uh, the Darrens. Do you remember them? Yes, they came out a- after me. That's right. I only did uh, half the tour. That's right. Came That's on. right. So, but how no. old were you? How old were you when when we we met you on that tour? Barely eighteen, I think. Like okay. I think, it, like it could have been. The weeks of my 18th birthday. Yeah. yeah. And what record, what record would you have been touring 
Oh, this was it. The shelter me. Shelter me. Yeah. Yeah. I was just listening to that today, man. So good. Like, I'm like, no wonder you were on your way up. I mean, that was, that's a great sounding record. John and Dino LaFonte did that. They did the whole thing. Yeah. They did the whole thing. That was a record had some radio songs and Yeah. yeah, that was all a really great time. Well, uh, Let's talk, let's go back to the beginning of your career because, you know, we, um, there were a, a lot of young ladies your age that were making their way into Christian music. And we, we, I remember taking out Jackie Velasquez when she was like 15, her and her mom came out on tour with us and we were like, oh man, she's going to be huge. And then like Stacey Arico and there was, um, oh gosh. Yeah. There were so many. There were so many young ladies out there that were like late teens that were getting signed by labels. And how did you get like, how did you get your first break into Christian music? Okay. So before I signed and did the record with John and Dino, I was living in California and I signed on at 13. I signed to like an independent Christian record label. And that music is what John and Dino heard. To, to sign me. So I think it was like, by the time I was 14, I was doing a showcase for, you know, Pamplin music, I think. Yeah. Was the, oh, was that's the right. You were on Pamplin. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so they flew out to Corona, California, where I grew yeah. up and not much happens there. Um, <laughs> and they uh, watched me do a, a showcase and I ended up, you know, signing, signing the deal and they were putting me on uh multiple tours just to, you know, help me get my sea legs with performing and traveling. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and then, but how did you get started though? I mean, like, were you just, you just grew up singing in church? Was this something that, you know, you were performing at a young age? Like when did all that start to take shape? I think it was a, the tender age of seven or eight when I started getting calls to do, you know, church solos that yeah. is around you know, the area. And so I would do, you know, offertory songs and things like that. My mom uh, did a lot of church ministry and my parents were in like outreach and prison ministry. So they were always, you know, busy doing music and, and traveling and things like that. So just watching them and they would bring me to their outreaches to open up for my mom and uh, we had like a little family worship band and I sang my mom's like, I don't know if you'd call it background vocals as a worship band, but I yeah. sang on the praise team and uh, my dad played drums. My mom sang and played the bass and my brother played the keys. And so we, that's how I got started. Wow. So kind of like family harmonies and that, like what kind of, like, who were you singing? What, what songs were you singing back then? Well, on a personal level, when I was able to uh, express my Christian music, you know, through my own artistry, it was like Krista Lewis and, you know, oh, wow. Sinans and yeah. just great big female voices. And then, you know, for the church stuff, we were, you know, doing all the Gary Oliver, Higher Dimensions, mm-hmm. you know, soulful and... And that sort of thing. So there was a lot of like Winans family kind of woven in. And that's where I got a lot of my inspiration. So then you, you get signed by Pamplin at what, like 16, 17 years old. Is that about mm-hmm. right? 
15. 15. Wow. Yeah. We had been starting like the, the record label courting process at the age of 14. Wow. Yeah. And then what was that like? I mean, what was that like at, at being that young and knowing you had a record deal and going into the studio and finding songs and like, how did that change a typical teenager's life? I think my, my parents kept me like in perspective, like beyond. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I really like, I was able to uh, contain the joy in a different way. It was, there was always this outreach perspective. It was like, that's the only thing that matters here, you know? And so I, I really did enter it into a, a, as a person who was like, well, this is an extension of what we've done in outreach ministry. I mean, I was completely, uh, unaware of the process and what that meant, you know, going out, being on a prevost and touring yeah. with people, going from just driving down to the local park to sing, you know, like this will just be the greatest opportunity to do more ministry on a, on a broader scale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and didn't, you know, I didn't understand that it wasn't, there was an industry aspect of what I was getting ready to do wildly unprepared. and. You know, I traveled, I think you remember, I traveled alone mostly um, without any, my parents were never able to go on any dates with me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I would. Yeah, I I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember your parents being out on tour with us at all. I didn't have like a parent or guardian. Oh, man. The things. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, a lot at once. You know, I went from like a homeschooled, no sleepovers, no secular music to touring the country oh man yeah that's quite the that's quite the culture shock even even for a christian tour it's uh it's kind of the wild west out there i mean we're (laughs) it's just a bunch of people out there a bunch of artists out there having a great time and also trying to get through life and you know in one piece absolutely i think my parents thought like you know like a monastery of nuns would come and pick me up from the house <laughs> and I'd fly out into the world and be protected. And we all nope. would all just be meditating in prayer throughout the day. And like, they just, they didn't know I'm, you know, I'm from this small town and like, they didn't yeah. know what I was yeah. getting to do. They couldn't go out with me because I had younger siblings and uh-huh. my dad uh, was a barber in in Corona, California. Just, you know, he couldn't, uh, take off and just start traveling around the country and leave his younger kids. You know. So did so, you move to Nashville? Did you did you home base out of Corona or did you what what did you do in that during that time? I home based out of Corona for a few years. Uh-huh. Even after you signed your label deal. Yeah. Well, I did stay with John at his house, and that was also like a big. I went from this small thousand square foot house in Corona with like you know I think six of us at one point to to John's big old, you know, <laughs> house with his pool and I had my own suite. So it was like a, a movie, like this makeup yeah. going from these different lifestyles. But I lived with him during the creating of the album. Mm-hmm. And uh and then just would fly back and forth from Corona. I did eventually at 17 get an apartment in Franklin. And then was made that home base for a little while. So. Yeah. 
And who were the first, who were the first artists that you toured with? Oh, wow. I think, okay. So my very, very, very first tour, which was like a huge change in my life was with truth. And Wait, so seriously, we'll say opened up for them and you know, they're doing like five, six shows in a week. Oh yeah. The well, label that's where I came from. Yeah. I came out of truth. That was for, for him. That's where we all came out of. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause I guess in the, in the mid late nineties, truth was a lot different than it was when we were with them in the eighties. They were a lot more pop mainstream, you know, doing more of the artist thing than they were, you know, decades before that. Oh yeah. And they were signed to Pamplin at the time as well. So uh, that's how I we forgot about we, that. Yeah. So they're like, how do we get this young 15 year old us, you know, to get used to road life. And so they put me out with truth. Suddenly I'm doing five, six churches a week living on a bus with like 20 people. And like, yeah. Well, that's actually a pretty good, a pretty good kickoff then because truth was truth is very well organized as far as, you know, um, you know, just being able to take care of people. Now, look, if, if and I can have truth people here on the, on the podcast and I have a few and we can tell some pretty crazy stories, just a bunch of, you know, 20 somethings doing 300 shows a year on a bus. And, you know, you, you, you learn your own little, uh, your survival system or your political system with on that bus, but it was a pretty safe environment like that. Roger knew what he was doing and, and, and it was, it was very well run. Yeah. So you know, you're good hands here. <laughs> Say that again. I got in trouble with Roger. Cause I was still, I was such a kid and I just would pull pranks on people on the road. And he's like bringing <laughs> no. me into his office mm -hmm. for a sit down. And <laughs> I Nikki, think it was in Nikki, like, <laughs> meet me in my office. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Sarasota one night doing their big Christmas tour, you know, and everyone's uh -huh. in, taxes and the whole thing and we were at this uh event center that had costumes in the back and i think during this real quiet star of wonder song i came out in, in a snowman costume oh no it's oh yeah yeah no, no no that's that no you can't do that yeah. to roger no he takes all that stuff very seriously especially the christmas especially those christmas shows he had his he had his finger pointed at me as i ran across the <laughs> he had a talk with my label and he's like, I can't have her out here on the road with us anymore. She keeps doing this stuff. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. And then who was after truth? Who'd you two with after that? Sierra and Greg long. Oh man, Greg. Yeah. He's awesome. What a great dude. I love him. I had a good time. And that was, that was like a three, four month tour with uh -huh. them. I did a few like freedom blast winter jams and, and just in a whole bunch of uh, solo dates. So I was always on the road. Yeah. And how were your songs doing on radio at the time? Were you starting to get traction there? Oh, yeah. I had it. Well, I had a number one with Everlasting Place. And then I had three more like top five songs too after that. So radio, it was in constant rotation for yeah. those years. So. And that's weird too. It's weird hearing yourself on the radio for the first time or you know, maybe not even hearing yourself, but hearing yourself in the, you know, listen to the countdown and, and hearing the people that you're around, like maybe you're wedged between Steve and Curtis Chapman and DC talk or point of grace. And you're like, Whoa, this is crazy that I'm my, you know, I'm hearing my name and my voice in between these artists that, 
have just been around forever. Oh, I know. And, and, you know, in the 90s, and especially in our house, like CCM music was everything. It was all I could listen to. So, you know, being on, you know, the charts with, I think at the time, like Crystal and Kirk Franklin were charting and all these people. And it was just such a big deal. And, and John Rivers Countdown, you know, magazine. Oh, yeah. I'm in Dallas. And I remember going to, uh, was it KCRW? Was it? Or KLTY. John yeah. River Station, uh-huh. and they did brown bag events at the yep. mall, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like 2,000 people in a mall for Christian music. And yeah, I remember those, yeah. Lines of autographs, and it was just such a, a crazy experience. Yeah, that it it will change you if you, you know, there's no way to be prepared for it, no, no matter how many people you have around you. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's a crazy thing, and again, you know. Uh, being out with Jackie Velasquez for quite a while, I saw what she went through and the, you know, just, just being young and uh, I don't know, just it, you, you change, you do change. You just kind of like, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind and your heart around what's actually happening and still be the same person after a couple of years and happen to us too. I mean, you know, you say you were 15 when you started, there's no way, you know, you could, you could kind of grasp what's happening. I mean, I was in my mid twenties and I still didn't know how to, you know, how to grasp what was going on and the demands that are put on you. But then also the, you know, just the, the sheer amount of adulation that you feel around you. And there's, there's nothing, it's a drug. When people respond to your performance, it's a drug. It really is. And if you don't get that, that response over and over and over again, it's like going through withdrawal. And and you're you start looking looking at yourself, thinking, "Am I, am I a failure? Do I do people like me anymore?" And it's just, and it is, yeah. People haven't experienced it. It's a it's a really weird thing. I just had coffee with a friend of mine today who who's has a similar path, and we talked for a long time about that. Just that you know that that thing you get used to of people just loving you for the gift that you give them, and yeah, right. it, it, it takes you a different place. For sure. It's awesome. I'm a naturally, I'm an introverted person, oddly. I have like a performative side where yeah. I can. I think most artists are, you know, I think the majority of us are. And that's probably why we're good performers is we have that, that one place we can go and just yeah. let, let it all out. And then what do we do? As soon as it's over, whoop, yep. back into the introvert side. Yeah. But it's not over, is it? And when we walk off stage, it's not over. We've got a whole nother life to live after that with fans and and labels and you know all the people that want something out of you it's yeah and that's what makes it hard too is you know when you're an introvert i relied on people to pursue friendship because i was you know awkward in myself and so when you have like visibility and you're out and you're touring and good things are happening sometimes the people that are attracted to you are you know attracted to what that is right mm-hmm, and so right you can feel like you have all these friends and all this good stuff happening and then i would get to these places where these lulls and these drops in my career and suddenly you know my friendship shifts and all these things happen and i'm like how i don't know what to do my whole life like people just came to me to be my friend and i, I i'm like in you know, a 41 and i'm like 
how do I make friends? I'm learning these things because things were so different for so long. Yeah. And it's recognizing, you know, as a, as a teenager, like you said, even in your mid twenties, any age, you're not prepared for that situation. Mm-hmm. I think, especially when you're really young, like you don't get out of it unscathed to some degree, because I don't think humans are meant to be glorified in that way. You're you right. Know? Yeah, you're right. And when you detach from that and you try to untangle your identity from what that is, there's just always a process. Preach yeah, it. That is every person I work with. I do a lot of consulting and coaching and mentoring now. And that's a big thing that comes up is how do we separate what people want from us and what they, the value they place on us and the gift we bring from who we truly are when we're off the stage and in the quiet place and, you know, and when then eventually all of us go through that point, you said that in the ebbs and flows of your career, it's taken away for seasons. And yeah, if you don't know, I tell this to young artists all the time. I've got, I've got several that I'm working with right now that, that are either heading in the studio or about to drop their, their first singles. And one of the first things I tell them when I start working with them is if you don't know who you are, they'll tell you who they want you to be. And, and you will follow that if you don't really know. And at our age, you know, being young like that, we don't know. We're just going after the opportunities. And someone says, here, you want to sign a record deal? We're like, yeah, yeah. of course I do. It's <laughs> so true. And I mean, even in my career has had so many shifts, but I went through, a, you know, many phases where record labels are like, here's what you're going to do. Here's the style we're doing. Here's this. And it's like, not, it, it's honestly the last five years where it's like, wait, what, how do I, what do I sound like? What is, yeah. who, who do I sing like? What does Nikki sound like? Because I've been paid since I was a teenager to sound however anyone hired me to sound. Mm. I made a career, you know, doing sound alikes and demos and projects and, I couldn't tell you what my voice sounded like to save my life. You know, I'm like just wow. figuring things out. Wow. Uh, I want to, so I want to go on that journey with you. You know, you talked about uh, the different ebbs and flows of your career. So let's talk about the last time I think you and I actually saw each other was you mentioned being on Freedom Blast tour with us about halfway through. And were we in Albany, Georgia, or somewhere outside of Atlanta? It feels like we were somewhere in that part of the country. I don't know why I have Albany in my mind. For sure. It was East Coast. Yeah. 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 And um, I'll I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. I was on your tour during a time where I had uh, met my very first boyfriend. (laughs) And um, I had done like abstinence conferences. And that was a big part of my life. And I think many Christian, young Christian women were associated with true love weights or yeah, passion. Uh-huh. That was a big deal. Uh-huh. Yes. And so that was a part of, you know, my platform and my message, which I really authentically connected to at the time and, and really meant something to me until I met my boyfriend and just didn't know how to handle, you know, the situation of your first relationship and the whole thing. And then being uh, unsupervised, you know, on the road and things, but By the time I had gotten out with you guys for the Freedom Blast tour, I had found out I was pregnant on that tour and I didn't know what I was going to do. At first, I thought, okay, 
let's let's elope next week. And I remember going <laughs> and sitting you guys down and Russ yeah. and Wayne and saying like, hey, you know, my uh, boyfriend at the time, we're, get, we're getting, you know, married next week. And everyone's like, okay, cool, great. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I remember there's like hugs all around and the whole thing. And I'm just, I'm the type of person that, really can't hold in a secret and has to live my life in truth. I just do. I can't hide something. Um, so like, I can't do this. I, these guys are great. I, I can't lie. I'm going to tell them that, you know, that this is why I'm getting married and not try to hide a honeymoon baby, you know, in four months or whatever. It was, it was just something that's out of my nature to do. So the next week I was like, okay, guys, the reason I'm getting married is I'm pregnant, you know, and I just remember you and Mark and Kirk. And, and I, I remember Mark crying with me Yeah, and you guys were really emotional and just supportive and loving. And it was really, um, I couldn't have been with a better group of people to, you know, share something so life altering and, I remember you guys said I could finish out the tour. You did not kick me off the tour and um, gave me the opportunity to still finish it out, which I still am so grateful y'all did that. At that point, I remember I had a date or two where I was pregnant and you guys knew and I was signing autographs for these young women and I just couldn't, I couldn't finish it out. It was something to where I, I ended up telling everyone that I was going to leave and I had my last night and I'll never forget it. And I was standing in the middle of you and Mark and Russ. And when we ended it with your, my brother, your assistant. So take me back. And I'm just bawling. I'm like, this is maybe my last time to ever be on a, in an arena singing Christian music. Mm. You know, I remember how profound that night was. And um and it was the last time I was in arena yeah. singing Christian music. Wow. But it uh it was very meaningful. And so I ended up leaving and getting married the next week. So oh, wow. Wow. Well I remember yeah. I remember uh that that uh, I remember that time thinking this is the first time anything like this has happened on tour, like, like having to have this conversation and, you know, what do we do? And I just remember, you know, all of us were, I think at least Mark and I were parents at the time. And, you know, we, we understood what you were going through and this is how you make your living. And, but, you know, do we, you know, what do we do? Do we, you know, do we keep this a secret? Do we like, like it was a, I know we wrestled with it as well. And I think, you know, bottom line is uh, our love for you outweighed, you know, what the consequences were down the road. And, you know, we're just like, you're going to have a baby. It's awesome. But it does get a little sticky, right? In the whole Christian music thing and, you know, uh, the things that are preached from the stage. And uh, yeah, I just remember that being one of those times I look back on and go, that was another time I think we all kind of grew up another, you know, but, in another mature way during that time and and having lots of conversations about, I remember Russ being so kind as well. I remember Russ just, 
you know, just really putting his arms around you and loving you through that. And he was just, he still is just one of the most wonderful men ever. He was great. Now he's like, go get married. Who cares? Just keep <laughs> going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, then what happened? So, so you get married, um, you, you, I think you lost your deal, right? You lose your deal at, at Pamplin? Oh, no, I didn't lose it. We, I actually tried to make a comeback and I did like an apology tour oh, and wow. I, the radio stations to say, I'm sorry. And to talk about the situation. And I even made another album after that, um, with John and Dino and like Ted T and, and a couple of different producers. And, you know, I tried and I really didn't want to leave Christian music. It was just hard at that point because radio stations weren't playing it. Yeah. Retail stores wouldn't um, put it in there, you know, on their floors or whatever. And then churches wouldn't book me. So there was uh, not all of them. I'm not going to yeah. blanket statement, but there were a large enough amount in each section that would make mm -hmm. it virtually impossible to yeah. sustain any sustainability in the industry anymore. So it was clear, you know, and it, it became hard too. some of the interviews were hard. And I think even the, the, the probing questions that people would ask me and they were like, I was on trial and, and it was hard because I did go through a, a period of restoration and walked with the church and, um, got some counseling from some great pastors and just, I walked through a process, but then I had to like, every day it was like 50 first dates and I had to start all over again. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I had to prove to people that I was reliable or good enough to go out and could be trusted. And, and it, it took its toll when, you know, they're like, but why did you, you know, but was it continual sin? Was it this, was it that? And I'm no, like, it's ah. weird, huh? It's such a weird place. Uh, you know, you're you're held to such a high standard, which I mean, yeah, I mean, you're you're representing, you know, you're representing Christianity through your music and what it all stands for and what we believe, right? And but man, you you make a I'm going to quote unquote mistake, and you know, look, uh, man, what a precious precious gift a child is, and you never look at a child as as a mistake you just don't and but they're all the things that surround it and how you get there i i i get it but it, it just gets really weird in the whole christian music world is that you know uh you kind of you don't you just get one strike you know and it and it it lives with you doesn't it it really did it really did you know it was um it was hard because, you know, and I came from ministry background and I had seen various things. Um, so, you know, like with certain indiscretions and things, there's a hiatus that, yeah. that happens. And that, that was nothing that I, I wasn't prepared for or willing to accept and walk through. It was the not, you know, at what point are, am I okay here? At what point am I allowed to be a part of my family again, this family yeah. of artists? Um, so much it was there was a, a grieving process for me because christian music was i mean and everything i did it was yeah. woven to my heart and soul like it was very important to me and i think people made these perceptions that it wasn't or like she's out making a mockery of this or 
you know, whatever, like that really wasn't the case. Like I authentically really loved what I did and took it seriously. Um, so to not be able to come back and be a part of it was, I think I, I went through some, some a road after that of some resentment towards, you know, Christians and God and, you know, had to kind of come back to my faith in a new way after, you know, shedding all of what that was. Yeah. How long did that take you? Do you think? A little too long, but I got, it was, uh, I, I would say there was like 11 years after that of like a real, um, grappling time where I had to not associate God with like the unforgiveness that I felt or didn't feel like God was constantly pointing a finger at me Mm. and not um, embracing and loving me. You know, that was, uh, that was a long road. And I think, you know, some people who've been in various, you know, toxic church situations go through that too. And, uh, that's why I have a lot of grace for people who are deconstructing, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's just sometimes there's just a little shaky period that people go through that they have, you know, sometimes you have to. And I think yeah. it, and fortunately for me, there was a strengthening in my faith that happened through that process. Even I went through like a little atheist period where you couldn't convince me God was real. <laughs> yeah. Like I do all of it. And, you know, God like continually met me where I was at. And yeah. so I feel fortunate. Wow. Yeah. God's not afraid of us shaking our fist at him or, you know, questioning him if he's real or not. He's not, it doesn't bother him. He just wants, he just wants an opportunity to, you know, continue to hang around, I guess. And, you know, I'm glad that, uh, I'm, I'm glad you've, you've figured some things out in that way. I mean, I'm not just figured some things out. I mean, you're thriving now in, in who you are and, and what you're doing. Uh, so did you, so you, you know, you, you, you walk away from the Christian music industry. What did you do after that? Like as a, as an artist, as a vocalist, as a songwriter, you know, I know, I know a lot of your story because I kept up with you, but you know, where did you go after, right after that? Well, I had, I went into survival mode, you know, because music was all I knew. I didn't have, at that time, I hadn't even graduated high school. Oh, and you have a child. Because, and I have a child and I don't even have, you know, a GD or anything. There wasn't, while on the road, I, my education wasn't looked at. So I ended up not doing it. And if you're, you know, 16, 15, 17, you're, you know, you have an opportunity to go to a waffle house at midnight or do your homework, you know, (laughs) I'm not just having a good time. You know, I I didn't go back and do my homework after the big show or, you know, whatever it was. And if you Um, haven't been to waffle house after after midnight, you're really missing a party. Really missing it. (laughs) It's true. I'm not lying. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was a survival mode. And so I only knew how to sing. I'm like, how am I going to, do this. And so people like Jody McBrayer and other Christian singers started hiring me to sing their demos for their albums, their upcoming albums. So when songwriters, you know, want to pitch a song to an artist to cut, they would hire me. And I think I was making like $75 to $100 a demo. 
And I just started stacking those up and I started doing a whole bunch of uh, sessions, which got me into background vocals. Yeah. And um, very. It strengthens your chops. It strengthens your chops in a different way than just singing the same songs every night. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. There's so, and I was in Nashville. So, like, I would do contemporary Christian or R&B or uh, country, you know, whatever style, you know, they wanted me to do. And so I survived for several years doing that. And I would dabble in trying to make my own music and figure out what that was. And then I got a call from Carrie Underwood's music director to go out on the road and be her background vocalist. Was that Mark Mark Childers? Mark Childers, yeah. Oh, yeah. We go way back with Mark, yeah. Talk about the truth days. And yeah, he was our first bass player on the road with us. Yeah. 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 He was great. And he, uh, he brought me in for like a sit down meeting. And I remember at this, at this time I had two kids. I was living at the extended stay in cool Springs. Oh man. And I get a phone call from Mark to go and tour with this new artist that has a, before he cheats song on the radio. And I'm like, all right, like, let's go. And, uh, so I hopped on the road with her and that really launched more of that world for me in doing, you know, session singing background vocals. But after her, I I went to, uh, I left Nashville and I moved to LA to, you know, I was like, I can't be a background singer forever. I really have dreams in my heart still. Nashville, there's nothing that's happening for me here as a solo singer. So I moved to LA. I signed a, a big deal with Warner Brothers at the time with a duo called Nikki and Rich that I had. And I thought this was going to be like my breakthrough. This is, that would have been my third record deal at the time. And, you know, we were on like all the tonight show stuff and doing sold out shows and commercials and films and things really started taking off. And they had a new president come in and just like eradicate like 70% of the roster in which we were a part of that fallout. And uh. so lost my deal. I'm devastated at this point. And then I'm like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not going to try to do a record label thing. I was like, I'm 28 now and I just can't do it anymore. Uh, you know, I so, such a weird... oh, I look back now and just go 28. Oh, to be 28 again. I mean, the, 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 fina- the, this finality feeling that I had the, at 28, 29 years old, like I'm at the end of my road. I better, you know, do this now. I remember though, being 26 and being in Orlando with, uh, not Lou Pearlman. There was another person's wife, huge, uh, manager out there. And I'm singing a acapella song to her. And she's like, how old are you? I'm like 26. And she just kind of puts her head down. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like, what? It just makes you feel so Johnny Wright's wife. That's who it was. Um, And so, you know, 26, she felt like I was probably a little past my prime to really make a a difference in music. And I had that, you know, that feeling always that this, I better figure it out, you know, really soon. So from when I lost my deal with Warner Brothers, I started writing music. I also had ruptured like a vocal cord. And was told by the top ENT laryngologist out here that I'd never have my range again. Like it was that destroyed. Oh, no. And 
Oh yeah. It was uh, wild. So I decided I'm like, I'm going to really start making pies and writing songs. So I started just, you know, digging into some other things and started getting work with Disney channel and um, writing commercials for like Ford and different uh, various films and that started really taking off. And I realized I had a knack for that when my Nikki and Rich songs were getting placed in a whole bunch of movies and film stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I think I can write this uh, kind of music and thrive in it. So I, I, I took that avenue. My voice started to come back, which my doctor called me Benjamin Button voice. They couldn't believe it. They're like, how do you, how do you even have a voice after the damage, you know, that was done? And then I get a call from a guy, Tim Davis in California. And he's like, Hey, there's this show Glee and we need a sing, you know, a singer on something. Can you speak Spanish? You know? And I was like, I think so. <laughs> Give me three weeks. <laughs> Seriously. I called all my Spanish friends hmm. and I'm like, yeah, I can definitely do a, like a, a bilingual thing. And it's like, we'll get here next week. It could be a situation for you. And so at the time I was filming a terrible indie movie in San Diego and I told the director, I'm like, you don't understand. I think this avenue is what's going to pay me for years to come, which was, I'm glad I didn't stay to, you know, make this movie the focus. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, uh, they let me leave and I was on supposed to be on set that day. And I yeah. drove Alabasas. There's a guy, Adam Anders, who his wife, Nikki Anders was in Avalon before. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. It, she's awesome. She's a great singer. And so I sing and then Adam's like, where have you been? Get ready to make some money. Let's do this. You know, I'm like, wow, all the way home. Oh my gosh. I had gone through so many hard knock seasons and that was another one coming out of losing the deal. And I was driving my free uh, car for single moms that Saddleback Church gave me and just oh, life. Wow. Like, it was really tough. And so I started Glee and then I started a Sunday night show in LA that's, that really took off. And I did that for seven years and it was the biggest LA residency music show um, and got to sing with Prince and Stevie Wonder and just wow. all these different artists. And at that time, I'm now writing, doing a show, doing Glee and like just stretching myself to every a uh, place that I could and started a, a different career path. Wow. Beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. Just incredible. That's the power of just, you know, let's just keep going. Just take one more step. Just, you know what? Wake up one more day. Let's do it again. And man, that's just, that's so compelling to hear your story of not just surviving, but thriving. I think I said it, you know, in the opening was that, just mind blowing to see, you know, to just, you know, be with you at that last and that last freedom blast tour stop. And then to see where you are now is just like, well, only God can do that. And just to allow you and to allow you just kind of wander around and figure it out. And, and it's almost like God winks at you, gives you a little side hug and goes, yeah, just wait. I got you. Yeah. I feel like God is like, uh, I'm going way back here, but like, I feel like Frogger or something and I'm <laughs> going in between the traffic yeah. to get to the other side. 
but he's making sure I don't get hit along yeah. the way, you know, and even some decisions were really hard to make, like getting off the road. I, I was offered a really big international tour before I took the, um, the jazz night show in LA. And it was like this act of obedience where it was like, no, that has to be, that has to be pushed to the side. And I knew that my focus really wanted to be my kids and family. I'm like, I can't sustain this and give them, you know, how it is touring away from your family. Yeah. And I was a single mom and I'm like, who do they have? I, I don't have a spouse at home to make sure that some things stay, you know, on track. Like I can't juggle this life of being a single mom and touring and coming back and my kids going, okay, where's my mother? You know? So when I, I decided to quit touring completely and take this little hotel job and just was like, okay, God, all right, I guess I won't go out, you know, on the Katy Perry tour or whatever. I'm going to sit in LA and sing in a, in a lobby of a hotel and just kind of laid it down. And it was so wild to think I, not only did I not miss out on anything, but like he 10, 20 times the amount of like connections and collaborations that happened with the best in the end. I mean, I'm like one night I'm singing with Nick Jonas or one night I'm singing with Dennis Rodman or, you know, (laughs) the weirdest weirdest stuff. But like, I never once felt like, Oh, look at over there. I could have been over there. He always made where I was at like exponentially better than I could have asked or imagined. Wow. And, and all because you, I mean, not all because, but it feels like part of that's a blessing of saying, I'm going to put my kids first. Like, I'm not going to just go chase the, the thing that's being offered to me and my kids not being taken care of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and I've always thought about that story in other parts of my life where I feel God calling me to something. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, wait, <when? laughs> yeah. Yeah. He knows best. Look at he hasn't failed you yet. You know, look at the past. So I ch- yeah, use that to trust God in all things and, and where we're at. And so you're we're talking now. You're at home in in California, or you're at a friend's house in California now. At a friend's house, yeah, out here. Yeah. We're just following what we're saying right now is we're following the green lights. And uh, we were in Nashville, and we sold our house a couple weeks ago. We have a house we're building in Florida right now, but work is happening in Los Angeles. So I don't know. It's just that season of like trying things out and trying to solidify the next season in ways while just feeling like he has to light our path right now. (laughs) And you said you're 41. Is that what you said earlier? And to think that at 41, it's kind of like, and I'm 57 and I still feel every day, man, God, you've got something new for me today. Like, like wake up and go, okay, God, what adventure are we going to go on today? Sounds like that's where you are as well at your age, you know, that you could never have imagined it at 16, 17 years old, that this is where you would be at this point in your life and still getting these crazy opportunities, huh? Oh, it's wild. I can't believe and music in itself is, and especially given the models of streaming and all the different things, it's not an easily sustainable no. app. Hey, 
You know, you have to have many irons in the fire and do multi be multifaceted in yeah. so many ways just so that the you know the rug don't get pulled out with one failed job or one, you know, failed endeavor. So we, you know, my husband is really successful in the um licensing sync world. He has a great uh little guy that's a little guy. It's called Louis Two. And it's um and I have a girl too that's not you I don't use my name. And so we have these, you know, alternate uh personalities that do different kinds of music that sustain us that aren't necessarily our maybe our artistry that we would connect to who we are exactly. So he does that and I do that and we both write for people and then he produces and he also does worship events and travels and I'll do that with him in some ways too. And like, we have like 20 jobs that we're always doing, but it keeps our, our life sustainable and, and going. That's incredible. And so you, I mean, just talking to you over the past hour, I'm, I'm kind of checking off boxes of everything you could possibly do uh, to have a successful career in the music industry. It feels like you've done almost everything. Is there anything on your bucket list or just kind of anything out there? You're like one day, if I could do that, that is, that would kind of be like a cherry on top of my career. Yeah. I think it would be Broadway. I definitely want to do a Broadway show at some point. And even like, um, comedic acting or, uh, script writing. I'm working on a book right now my life story so just there's a few more things that i want to accomplish and experience for sure hey thanks for listening join me every monday for new stories from the christian music industry and beyond if you want more content like this along with a lot of great music join me for worship with andy chrisman airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend and when you get a sec run over to my website andychrisman.net for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.